It is God's word for all of God's people. It's one of the ways that we start to digest this in a truer sense, I think. Well, welcome. We are in a people empowered by the Holy Spirit to love God because he first loved us. We love all people as Jesus would, and we follow Jesus together because he invites us into a life worth living. Uh, This last month, we have been delving into being deeply formed by Scripture, and it's been a rewarding journey for many of you, I know, because you have welcomed the challenge of the Spirit has been placing on you. I mean, uh, whether it started through this idea of slowly reading Scripture and allowing it to just penetrate the deeper recesses of your mind and your heart and your soul through Lectio Divina or divine reading. I, I, know, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this type of reading is hard for us as a general rule. Maybe not for you particularly, but as, as for us who are ready to move on to the next thing before the first thing has even started. But God does his great work in us by just allowing the immersion of the truth to penetrate those places in our hearts and our lives. It becomes formational to us. We also talked about the fundamentals that memorization is not just about math facts or history dates or for whatever work assignments coming up because you have to have those things memorized. But that memorization of scripture helps it to be deeply retained so that not only can you remember, but the spirit in those moments when you desperately need it can bring it to your mind and to your heart. It also is one of those things that has the ability, when we memorize scripture, to clean and clear out the clogged vessels within us. Have you ever noticed that? You start to memorize a a passage of scripture, and then all of a sudden it starts to play havoc on other places in the house of your heart. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's exactly what is supposed to happen. And it helps to clear out those contamination of conforming to the world, the flesh, and the subtle deceptions of the Satan who co-ops us into his way and his world. Many of us have come to realize the reality of Scripture even, The truth of it, it proclaims and declares, has not been lived out through our lives so well. I mean, it declares truth, but it does not live itself out. We realize and we know in part, but we realize, as with Paul, that we don't know fully. I'm not saying this to be mean to any of us. Some of us may have scripture memorized better than others, but, but even the best of us can do a little bit more work and study. Paul in Galatians 5 pulls back the curtain on us and stating that if we live by the Spirit, we would not allow the desires of the sinful nature, the results of the very, and these results are very clear, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and the sins like these. Anybody want to put your hand up and say, I didn't have a problem with any morsel of any of those this week yeah again I'm not trying to be mean I'm trying to say that scripture has a greater work to do in us as we study it and when Paul states sins like this he means this the list is not complete that the list goes on it's a continual role 
while we often want to respond as Adinka rightly laughed in those places where there's shifting, there's blame shift. We want to respond to those statements about ourselves on one side as, hey, I'm not as bad as, and you fill in the blank. Because that is exactly what we're prone to do. Our standard, though, can I just tell you, is not set by another person around us. Our standard is set by Jesus himself, and he invites you into the reality of the kingdom and to be empowered past those besetting sins to a life of abundance, of beauty, grace, and love that he has for you and for me. For many of us, and I've heard this out of people's mouth, I do not hunger for the word, for the scripture as I wish, to be able to dwell in it as we studied in Psalm 1, the, the man or woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, to be that person planted by the streams of wild water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither, that is not many of us. Is this where you found yourself? Over the past month, realizing, oh, the word of God is not shaping the inward parts of me so my ex- ex- exterior is you know, responding and like. Is there any truth that the, that's parking itself close to the embodiment of this reality for you? If yes, then you're just the person contained in the story, bound in this book we call a Bible, which many of us have come and are learning over and over again that it's not a book, it's a library, it's a compendium of manuscripts put together. And we realize and understand that this beautiful bound book is more than just a book. It is written by authors over a period of maybe a span of 1,500 years, on the same themes. Isn't that incredible? And we realize in that that it's woven together by a spirit that guides it to truth and life and abundance. That God has not only woven the story about somebody else, but he's woven that story about you and me, and he's woven us into it. That's why it's our story. God has designed us to dwell in the kingdom of reality and he wants you to dwell there, but the scriptures have to become alive for you. You have to dwell within them to allow that kingdom to see its emergence through you. And if I could say simply that even at the deepest level, at the lowest floor that your elevator goes in your life, that is where you ache for this. But often we stop just before the lowest floor. And we stop off on other areas of our lives and go, hey, I'm just going to get filled up here. But our minds, our hearts, and our souls ache for this deeper reality of the kingdom of God that Jesus wishes to give to us and wishes to continually see come out of us. We love a good story. Right? I know I do. Whether it's C.S. Lewis or Tolkien or even a good John Grisham, or maybe it's a movie for you. You don't read too many books, so that's cool. You know, Marvel or DC or whatever the movie is, you like a story, right? They pull us into the text, into the world or worlds, and they demonstrate those themes of good versus evil, love triumphing over heartbreak, redemption or reconciliation, and courage persevering and winning in the end, right? Love pulls it out. And we're pulled in this story. Why? Why are we pulled into stories like that, whether, we're, whether we watch them or read them? Because they're our story. It's what, we've been, what we see over and over and over again in our lives. This is our human story. 
When we get to the scriptures about our story, we love stories about Joseph, don't we? Especially when we get to the end and we realize, well, wait a second, he, he made it out to the end and he becomes kind of the victor in the story and not only that, but he lives a narrative that we can't even live out, meaning he forgave his brother's faults and he embraces them and we go, oh, I just want to be like Joseph. And he pursued God through all the trials and tribulations, prison or not. We love David and Goliath, don't you? I mean, I love it. The underdog winning, or that's the way the story we think it's told. It really is not told that way. And I think, I think that Malcolm Gladwell has it right when he's trying to tell us over and over again in Scripture, in the, in the compendium, the library of Scripture, that the underdog is not the loser. It may look like that way in the world, but it's not that way in God's kingdom. We love Daniel because he stood up for justice and righteousness. He prayed three times a day, no, even though there was pressure not to, and he stepped into the fire. Literal, not the literal fire, but he stepped into the fire of the culture of his day to set a different direction. And we love Peter, don't we? The story about Peter. We want to walk on water. We kind of chide him a little bit, like, hey, why'd you look down? But we all want to walk on water. We want to have that faith, but we're also found at the same turn denying Jesus when we're asked to, to speak for him. And we realize that even in, those, in that storyline, we're like, oh, wait a second, but Jesus comes back around in his great love. He comes back around and he says, I love you. I restore you. You're made in my image and you're made for me. So if you find yourself in the, in the, in the storyline of Scripture, you're supposed to find yourself in the storyline of Scripture because it's you and me. This morning, I just simply want to remind us quickly of four themes that are found in Scripture that most people, most scholars would land on. There are more and there are less. You can do it a lot of different ways, but four that I wanted to give to all of us this morning, four major themes. One is creation. We may know that, right? But I want, to, I want to remind you exactly what Miss Kathy reminded you. Then God let, said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. But this is what we find in Genesis 2.7 right? Genesis 2.7 says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, friends, we are intelligent beings. We understand that man does not mean just a man. It means mankind. He breathed his breath into mankind. The Ruach of God consumes him, and animates him. And out of God's love, as always, he gives us choice, and thus the fall. Thus the fall. And God commanded the man, 
as we heard, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then 3.6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Friends, out of God's deep love for us, he gave us the free will to choose, the freedom to choose. And out of that freedom to choose, being deceived by the Satan, mankind grabbed for the fruit forbidden and ate. And in case we think that that's just them and not us, again, I want to remind you, as Paul writes in Romans 3, 22 through 24, the right, this is the righteousness that is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short, fall short of the glory of God. All. And they are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That all of us have sinned. We don't see the term original sin in Genesis 3, but that's where scholars find that. That we're now in, we've been contaminated by sin, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. I don't know how many of you have had children around your house, babies, or older, or if you even remember yourself. But they... We want what we want, and we demand it, and there's a, a general selfishness that comes with that. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a reaching, a grabbing for our own autonomy. In fact, that's what a lot of scholars would say happened or was happening in and around what Adam and Eve were doing. They were just grabbing for their own autonomy. They wanted to live out their own way of doing things, our own way of doing it. But God in his goodness redeems us. I don't know if you think about this too much from Genesis 3, but his redemption is real for us. In Genesis 3, 14, 16, and 17, it says this, and we see this as punitive, but it is redemptive or disciplined, maybe. So God said, because you have done this to the woman, he has a consequence. And to the man, he has a consequence. This is part of redemption. We have consequences out of our sin, and it is part of the redempting process. I'm reminded of Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, as the, as a father the son he delights in, or daughter. He delights. We would tell our children this on a regular basis. Oh, if we didn't love you, we wouldn't discipline you. But it is true. Those who love come alongside, guide us into health and hope and rightness. But the redemption is found though through the offerings. We read Leviticus and we realize, oh, wait a second, to make atonement, there had to be a sacrifice. And the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus on the cross for us to pay the price for our sins. Isaiah says this, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, 
and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. His blood had to be shed. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own, our, to our own way. And the Lord was, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, redemption comes through a sacrifice, comes through a discipline that has to be exacted, and Jesus took that for us. But it doesn't stop there on the cross. It is restoration because While we're redeemed from our sin, he wishes to restore us to our greater design. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The desire was that they would be restored to relationship with him. In Luke 18, 22, Jesus says, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing. He's talking to those of us who need to be restored. The the, rich young ruler had done everything he should have done up to that point and Jesus speaks to him these words you still lack one thing sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me our restoration is found not only in saying yes to Jesus because of what he did on the cross but saying yes to him and following him with full allegiance I think of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the at night and ask him, hey, wait, we know you're a good teacher, but how do I get to heaven? No one comes. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That we need to be born again. So the question for us is this. What do we do? What's our next step? What, if it's a choice, what do we have? I love the response that Peter has uh, it, over here, it says, what shall we do in response to Peter's sermon to those who had already crucified Jesus? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, for all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. They're saying, well, wait a second. If this is true, that Jesus died on the cross and we crucified him, what should we do? He says, what? You need to repent. You need to choose to follow Jesus and be baptized. Our mark of followership of Jesus immediately we find throughout Scripture is baptism into the faith. It's not baptism through water, but it's baptism by water and the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 9, after Paul's dramatic encounter with Jesus, Ananias responds to him saying, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Listen to this. He got, up and, he got up and was baptized. When we're baptized, we're part of the family. We make an allegiance. We make a declaration. And then we are welcomed at the table of the Lord as a follower of Jesus. As in Acts 2.42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, this idea of breaking of bread is a reminder of what has happened for them and to them and through them by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So communion becomes our response as followers, fellow followers in the journey with Jesus. But what do we do after that? What, what is our call? Well, in one big category that has so many parts to it, and we talk about these all the time, it's simply this, to love. To love. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples and if you, if you love one another. That's our call. And Jesus says, how do, we, how do you know how to love? Read what I've done. Now, he doesn't say that, but I would say that. Read how I've loved. That's our call. So what's your choice this morning? Our four themes of, you know, created, we go through this probably weekly. I thought about this as I was mulling this over. We may go through this weekly. We, we feel created again anew, afresh. Come on Sundays and we go, oh, I feel better. And we walk through the week and we, we realize, oh, I've, I've, taken a, I've taken a wrong turn. I've moved off the wrong path. And so we fall. We don't fall out of his grace. We fall. We sin. And we need redemption. So we confess and repent of our sins. And when we confess and repent in our sins, we then are able to walk the road of restoration once again as he says, come, follow me. What is your choice this morning? If you have not yet followed Jesus for your life, you can this morning. You can this morning by simply praying this prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we're grateful for the gift of life that you give to us and that is ours in you. Father, may you be honored by our walking, our talking, our thinking, all of us, our heart, mind, and soul in this week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we have the wonderful opportunity to baptize someone. So I'm going to ask Joyce Elliott if you would 